Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Bet on Chicago. My name is Joey Christopoulos, and today's episode is presented by who else? BetOnline.eg. And look, it is that beautiful time of year as college basketball takes center stage with the tournament fully upon us. And if you're looking to wager this year, BetOnline is the number one spot for all your updated odds and info, along with great contests, including the bracket contest where you have a chance to take home the top prize. So what are you waiting for? Head over to the website or use your mobile device right now to sign up today. Receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit only when you use promo code BELIEVE. B-L-E-A-V to get started. BetOnline, your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. BetOnline, where the game starts. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming into the podcast. I'm super excited to have this guest on here today. I feel like I'm going to learn a little something. Hopefully the audience learns a little something. He is college sports maven Melvin Buchanan. Melvin, welcome to the pod. How are you today? Doing well, Joey. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for asking. Before we get started on, uh, you know, the actual sports on the field, let's do a little instructive background real quick. Uh, me and you, we got connected through my old gym teacher. Now, this sounds like, wait, wait, wait hold on a second. This is uh, Richard Berardi, Mr. Berardi, honestly, one of the best teachers I've ever had in my life. I still think about some of the principles and the fundamentals that he taught me about not just, you know, playing sports, but being a human being. You were close friends with him, and we got connected sort of through there. So if you can, just kind of walk our audience through a little bit of about your background and a little bit about your love for college sports and sports in general. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, I played sports. I'm, I grew up on a farm and, uh, you know, a small farm in Mississippi. We did row crop, and, you know, we had a dairy, about 40 cows that we hand milked twice a day. So you had to get up and fight with those every morning before you caught that school bus and, you know, <laughs> You know, you know, my older brothers, you know, I got five brothers and three sisters and my older brothers had to, you know, try to get a little of that cow off of them before they go to school because they're going to talk to the girls, you know, but me and my baby brother, we just, you know, fell in there and, you know, they always gave us the dirty jobs, I guess, because we didn't, we didn't have to talk to the girls at our age. So, <laughs> you know, so. But I played uh, some high school football, you know, junior high football, and I was pretty decent at it, but there were you know, better athletes out there than me, you know, much, much better athletes. And, uh, you know, probably couldn't focus on it really the way I wanted to because of, you know, responsibilities I had at home and because I just didn't have the size or athletic prowess for it, you know, and went on from there and, you know, went on to Mississippi State and, you know, people asked me, did you play ball there? I was like, no, I didn't because we had some horses, you know, we had Johnny Cooks, we had Kent Hull, we had, uh, what's his name, Michael Haddix and George Wansley and Ken Johnson and all of these guys played, you know, pro ball. And I mean, they were big dudes. I watched them, but I didn't get out on Scott Field with them. <laughs> yeah. But I've always been, you know, uh, finished a degree there in geology. So I'm a scientist, I'm very analytical and, I guess Richard and I met in the gym maybe 10 or 15 years ago, and we've been just like family since then. And sometimes he's watching the sports shows and he says, man, what I heard on the TV today sounded like a guy took some notes from something you said five years ago. You know, he said, these guys must be following Melvin around because Melvin said that five years ago. And he said, man, you ought to be on TV. You know, I'm just sort of blowing him off, you know, 
And so when he told me about you, he said, I'm going to call him and have him to, you know, chat with you and just let him find out what kind of a guy you are. So, you know, here I am. That's awesome. And yeah, when he connected me, he said, you got to have Melvin on. And I was super excited to have that happen. Uh, a couple questions for you. One, Mississippi State and LSU Tigers, there isn't any friction between the two of you, huh? I know that he's still huge, probably a huge Tigers guy. I knew he was a big Cardinals guy. That doesn't, you know, that's not a roadblock in your friendship? No, not really, because I guess I've always been an LSU fan, you know, the you know, the last miles and, you know, on and on and on. I, I just always liked the caliber of athletes that they had. And then I always liked the LSU fans because you could go to the games and I always said they could drink more liquor than anybody I've ever seen and not want to fight. You know, they, they like having a good time. You know, I, I can remember going to LSU games and the LSU fans are feeling real good. And, you know, Mississippi State has the cowbells. And I can remember one game of that. They said, hey, man, let us ring the cowbell. So I'm sitting there beside an LSU guy, and he got the cow. He has the cowbell. <laughs> <laughs> He's ringing it, you know, from Mississippi State. So they, you know, we just, I just always enjoyed the fans. We always had a, you know, really good time. You know, you, yeah, you're going to have a good time if you're dealing with LSU fans. Yeah, I heard it's really fun down there. I never really got the opportunity. I wanted to ask you about something that you that you said in your introduction there. And I, I'm just kind of curious because obviously, uh, you know, we're, we're separated by a couple of generations. And what was it for you? What would, if you could describe it for you playing sports? You know, you talk about you grew up on a farm. You're working hard every single day. Was sports for you? Uh, was sports for you an outlet? Was it something that was just more like something that the kids like did in the neighborhood? I mean, after you really work a long, hard day's work, you know, was it also maybe in a, a mode of expression? A way to maybe kind of get some emotions out playing sports. What was that well, for think, you growing you know, up? Uh, I think it was a bit of both, you know, having five brothers and, you know, I come from a really huge family. It's like 88 grandkids. And, uh, you know, oh. it's, I'm number seven from the bottom in that 88. <laughs> my family is heavily male dominated. <laughs> You make it sound like it's a uh, CFB rankings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, playing and competing was something we always did. I always tell people, you don't ever get too tired to play. Yeah. You know, now, my dad was going to work all of that. I guess we'd say piss and vinegar out of you, either in the cotton patch or in the purple hole pea patch or hauling square bale hay or you know, you had plenty of work to do, but we still found time to compete. And it was just something the guys did. You know, we were going to play, even if it meant playing after dark and mom and dad's already in the bed sleeping and you can hear dad snoring, you know, on the outside. But we still found time to play. You know, we just we just always did. And there were other guys in the neighborhood that would come to our house and we always played. You know, we always had some kind of a game going all the time. Yeah, I was fortunate enough or i still you know kind of grew up in the 80s early 90s where uh, i just remember when you play baseball and it was getting dark outside you really took it to like the line of it being dangerous you know what i mean like when you yeah. really when you kind of can't see the ball until maybe it's a couple feet in front of your face that's usually when you called it you know what that's I mean? right that's that's the same way we played and i had you know i guess that's one of the reasons i never really got into baseball i watch it but I never really got into it because one of my older brothers was a big, tall fella, and he pitched, and they would have me being the batter, 
and you know, and I'm much younger and smaller, and he could really send it down through there. And so I would, you know, be more interested in getting out of the way than I was hitting the ball, you know. And I said, no, I don't think baseball is going to be my thing, you know. But, you know, even then, we listened to a lot of baseball. You know, everybody, I would say in that part of Mississippi, about the only team you could hear, you know, and you only got it on the radio back then in the 60s and 70s was the St. Louis Cardinals. For some reason, you could always hear Whitey Herzog and, you know, the Cardinals. And so we were pretty much Cardinals fans for that reason. That was pretty much the only team. You know, you Birmingham didn't have a team, you know, North Jackson. And we were probably too far away to pick up a signal for, for the Braves. So we just wound up being, uh, you know, Cardinal fans. Well, yeah, and comparatively, as we move forward through, especially with television coming into play, that's a big reason why the Cubs have such a fan base as they do, correct? Is because WGN, you know, a lot of people, I mean, not just from uh, states that are south of Illinois, but right. east and west and north. I mean, and I, even I think in areas, areas of Arizona, that's what makes the Cardinals and the Cubs so special. I do want to move over real quick. Let's move over. Let's stick on football if I can. And um, if it's all right, I want to just kind of get your reaction on some of the more uh, pressing current issues of the NFL that's going on right now. There is so much movement, uh, a lot to pick from, but I have been focusing a lot on uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers of recent, uh, of, you know, their recent moves of the past couple of weeks. Uh, my wife is a huge Steelers fan, and of course, they just signed Mitch Trubisky. And you also described in your email that uh, you know you have family members that have you leaning towards uh, the Steel Curtain side too, as well. Um, I would love to just kind of get your reaction a little bit on what you think the organization is hoping to get out of Mitch Trubisky, and do you like that move in general? Well, it's, it's really hard to say, you know, Pittsburgh is, you know, is known for being a, an organization that takes care of its players. You know, that's pretty much widely known around the league. And I think in being an organization like that, your players have a tendency to be quite loyal to you. That's good on one side, but on another side, it's bad. Because what happens is, you may hang on to people too long mm -hmm. and your team, I call it ages out, you know, they're still good or they're still decent, but they are a step slow now. And that step is causing you not to be able to make that next step or that next level in the playoffs or whatever, because your guys may be, a tad, you know, longer the two. Um, the other thing I think that's happening with a lot of the, I call them cold weather teams like Pittsburgh, they haven't really bought into this new age of football, this wide open, you know, throw the ball all over the field and you turn your running backs into uh, slot receivers or, you know, receivers yeah. out of the backfield. That's not really Pittsburgh's mantra, but that's what the bulk of the major colleges now are producing is those type players. So I think Pittsburgh is sort of caught in between that. Do we try to flip totally over to that? Uh, do we try to catch a medium between the, the bruising backs and the staunch defenses of the cold weather team and meet. I, I think what would be perfect for them is meeting about halfway, 
because I really can't say that that wide open style and it's 20 degrees or 15 degrees in Pittsburgh in the winter or Cleveland or Green Bay, you know, the ball becomes like a rock when it's that cold. And so a lot of the wide open stuff probably won't work. You're probably still going to have to just grind it out. So I think Mitch uh, probably, I, I would think he's probably, they're looking at him probably as a uh, uh what would I say, a, a person to fill a gap until they can sort of figure out what they're going to do. I don't know, like I said, if they let uh, Roethlisberger stay too long. You know, you, you can't shove him out. He's still playing. He's been loyal. Or did they do a good job in developing some of the young guys they had? Did they just have them on the team and didn't develop them because they were still clinging to Roethlisberger? Uh, so it, it's sort of hard to say, you know, what they really need to do, but I think they're going to have to play somewhere in between that wide open and, and what I call pure Pittsburgh football. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really interesting because there's two things that I thought about a lot. And I think this year's Super Bowl is an interesting example. Now, of course we have the Patrick Mahomes chiefs and we have some of these uh, Tom Brady teams over the past couple of years, even a Peyton Manning team. You see that offense, and look, it's interesting, and that's what we want to talk about. We want to talk about a 45-yard pass, I think probably more so than you know a, a pancake on the offensive line. Right. But what was so interesting about this year's Super Bowl was after everyone got done talking about Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase, after everyone got ta done talking about Matt Stafford and can he win the big one and all their receivers and all their weapons, what did we end up really talking about the most? We talked about can the Bengals' offensive line stop the Rams front four and that and it's not sexy right but eventually that really turned into a huge issue in the Super Bowl so I think that's what you're speaking to with the Steelers now could they come up short week seven in a regular season game when they maybe got to score 35 points on somebody with a guy like Mitch Trubisky yeah maybe but I think it maybe gives themselves a better shot at being competitive in more games if you have those pillars like those foundational pieces in place and I want to ask you this question kind of, you know, rolling forward in terms of that, you know, you were talking about timeline and I think about timeline a lot right now. And the part that maybe I could criticize the Mitch Trubisky move with the Steelers is that in my opinion, you have TJ Watt at the just pinnacle prime of his physical prowess, career and ability right now. And as you mentioned, sometimes when guys get a step slow, you know, you really want to capitalize when someone's in their prime right now. What is your opinion or perspective when teams like the Denver Broncos that we've just seen very recently, um, you know, spend major draft capital on a guy like Russell Wilson because you have to win right now as sort of this parachute to bring success? Are you on board with something like that to maybe capitalize on a winning window? Or do you kind of prefer seeing teams sort of build with, from within and kind of mature and progress that way? Like, which way would you probably lean? I would actually lean more toward the build and progress. But, I mean, we're in a new age of football now. I mean, everything is just totally different from what it used to be, you know, even 10 years ago, so to speak. Mm -hmm. it, it's totally different now. And so um, it is what it is in that it is purely business and you know the players are trying to I guess figure out a path 
to at least get me one ring <laughs> by hook or crook, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, they're I really hard. They're hard to get. Really I can't get. necessarily blame them for that. I mean, that's just the nature of the business. I think it throws the fans off some because it may be a guy that you've hated from an opposing team and, but he's a stud and they bring him into your team and you want to win. But at the same time, it's hard for me to like this guy because I've been I, hating I, him for 10 years. I think we could be talking about Aaron Rodgers here from a Bears yeah. fan perspective, but I get it. You know, Steelers fans had to contemplate that, you know, would we yeah. after, would we want him? He's really good, but would yeah. we want him on, what do we want him on our team? Yeah. So yeah, you're, you're dealing with that, but I mean, I can understand that, you know, if you're a GM or if you're a coach and you've built, I'll call it right to that point. And you know, I need, I know exactly what type of piece I need to put us over the hump. And it's got to be either this guy, this guy, this guy, based upon what I know about the players in the league. And so I can't necessarily blame an organization or, you know, a general manager for going out and getting that guy if that guy puts you over the hump because you want to win, sure, but you also know that by getting over the hump and winning, you win financially as well. Mm -hmm. And the owner is looking for you to produce revenue. You know, they pay the players a lot, but the players produce a lot of revenue you know so yeah no and it, and it's just kind of curious you you know you can see the breadcrumbs with different franchises from time to time where you know if you look at kind of Denver's example they sort of were able to move on from some big ticket items that they had on defense and they also have let's just say you know they have a couple of pieces offensively that they hope that are on rookie deals right now like a Jerry Judy and a Javante Williams and that can incentivize a team to go out there you know and pick up a guy like Russell Wilson the same way that the Pittsburgh Steelers had a choice to make with, you know, they just gave TJ a whole lot of money, but now Ben's money's off the books. They have Najee Harris, a piece who's on a rookie contract. You know, it all kind of like, there's all these little financial windows that I think teams are playing with a lot. I wanted to ask you this on the NFL before we move over to college, and this is kind of a, a transition question. I hear this a lot, and I would love to hear your perspective on, I think conventional wisdom from maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago was, when a college quarterback was drafted, uh, they would say, well, can he play the pro game? Because the college, because this college coach was playing a certain way. I particularly have heard the last few years that the NFL is now mirroring the college game with spread offenses and, you know, a lot more shotgun and all that kinds of stuff. So between how you see offenses that are in, uh, run in college compared to the pros, do you see one or the other kind of maybe stealing notes more than the other, or do you think it's still very much a separate separate game? No, I see them actually stealing notes from each other. Mm -hmm. And I see them, uh, uh, you know, merging into the same game, so to speak, or the same style of football. And, you know, at my age, I can remember back, you know, when the first black quarterbacks came into the league and so forth, and always the knock on them was, 
they have happy feet. They won't stand in the pocket. They won't do this. They, you know, they can't read defenses, which was all a bunch of crap, but that's, that's what was said. Ward Moon, whatever. Yeah, yeah. It amazes me now that the very thing those guys were doing is exactly what everybody wants their quarterback to do now. That, uh-huh. that amazes me. And, you know, and when they see somebody doing it, they say, oh, man, that's that's great. You know, or Mahomes or they see a Cam Newton doing what he's doing. You, Oh, man, it's, it's wild. Or I can't think of the guy named Tony, Johnny Manziel. And I'm like, I knew a whole sack of brothers who could do that. You know, I, I, I knew a whole sack of them. Or even when people's talk about Cam Newton, and I love Cam. And I tell the youngsters, I said, the same thing you see Cam Newton doing, Reggie Collier did that and more 40 years ago at Southern Mississippi before uh, Brett Favre. I said, I think he was an even better athlete because he ran like a 4-3 summer, 4-4, and he was like 6-5. But, you know, but all the younger people know is just Cam because they never really saw Reggie play, but I saw Reggie play and he whipped Mississippi State like he wanted to. You know, he and Ricky <laughs> Floyd and David Landrum and all of those guys. And the guy that played for the Steelers, the receiver years ago, I'm trying to think of his name. He was a Southern Miss guy. Is that Antoine Randall L? You mean the, the no. slash quarterback or? No. Oh, um, well, so receivers, I can just start run, running off Santonio Holmes, Plaxico Burris. If he was probably a little before them. Yeah. Interesting. I can't I think of it. I want to say he married a girl that. I can't remember if she was Miss Mississippi or she was in the Miss Mississippi. It, oh, I almost called his name. I can't think of it now. But all of those guys. But I, but I think the game is changing because the players have changed. Hmm. You know, that standing in the pocket stuff, unless you just have a brute of an offensive line, when you got running, uh, you got linebackers running four fives and four sixes and so forth, you can stand back there if you want to. You're going to get killed. You got to do either one or two things. You got to either be able to move or you got to be able to count one, two, three seconds and the ball better be out of your hand. So yeah. that if he does hit you, it's a penalty and he'll pull up because the ball is gone. But if you hold the ball or think you're going to stand in the pocket like guys used to do 15 years ago, you can forget that. You, you will be broken up and your career will be over in short order. And I think that's, you know, what's really changed the game is the size and speed of today's players. Both on, you know, the speed used to just be on pretty much on offense. You had receivers that could run and running backs that could run. But, you know, now you got linebackers run four fives, four four. You got DBs run four threes. You know, can you imagine, you know, a, a 250-pound linebacker running a four five colliding with you? Or a 300-pound defensive lineman who probably runs a four seven or four eight colliding with you you better be able to move so i think that's the reason a lot of the wide openness has come into the game and then i think some of it was even by design because it was more exciting to the fans 
And again, it gets back to that dollar again. If we can draw more fans with more excitement, then let's open up the game similar to what the NBA has done with, you know, the three-point shot and you breeze on players hard. It's a foul when, you know, Rick Mahorn and Bill Lambeer used to fair out mug people. You know? and it was Don't just, get me started. It was just basketball. <laughs> Don't started. I, had, basketball. I, had, I had Bill Lambeer voodoo dolls growing up as a Bulls fan, just every single yeah. time. To set but no, you're bringing up something that I think is, I kind of having a little bit of a light bulb going on over my over my head a little bit where, yeah, if you look at the game where, you know, if you take a little bit of the physicality out of it because they have to for safety reasons, um, if you also kind of sort of change the way that, you know, the cornerbacks and the defensive backs can either prohibit or stop a receiver from kind of getting out of his break or making that first stem route, you're right, though. The whole thing then comes down to speed, and if it comes down to speed, then naturally the pocket passers roll to stand in that pocket and bounce and bounce. That would be diminished just because the time isn't there. So That's right. And, I, and I'm already thinking about a guy like, you know, I'm thinking about a guy like Mac Jones and Tom Brady and those guys like and obviously Tom Brady is probably a separate example. But a guy like Mac Jones, I'm not saying that he can't have success, but maybe it will take him more plays to have the type of success than you will see other quarterbacks. You know, when we talk about yards per play, yards per attempt, it might take him some more. So he continues to have that kind of success. Um, I want to ask you, you know, NFL drafts about a month away. Um, you know, Kenny Pickett, Malik Willis. You know, Matt Corral, is there a quarterback maybe not on that top three list that, that stands out to you right now that you think, I'm not saying he's going to be the next greatest quarterback of all time, but is there someone that maybe has you intrigued, maybe someone that someone isn't talking about right now that can maybe help an NFL team? You know, it's, it's, it's hard to say when I, you know, when I think about some of the uh, the quarterbacks because – Again, it pretty much boils down to system. Hmm. You know, if I can be drafted into the right system, you know, and I think that hurts a lot of quarterbacks because, you know, in most cases, you don't really have control over that necessarily where you draft it. And sometimes you can be drafted into the perfect place for you. And then other times you can be drafted into a place that makes you look horrible and people think you were horrible and you were actually a good to great ball player. That was just the wrong system for you. And so I think the key, the key becomes, you know, I think, you know, right now, I think Matt Corral is a guy mm. that, you know, they had him up there one time, but, you know, people have sort of backed off of him, but I think it's a bit more to him than people think. Uh, if he gets into the right system and, you know, the right play caller, because I've always said the best two play callers I've ever seen was Lane Kiffin and Hugh Freeze play calling. Yeah. Those guys can just flat out call plays. I, I, I mean, I would venture to say college or pro. They're probably the best two play callers I've ever seen. You know, they – I've never seen any defense become comfortable with their play calling. They are just that good at play calling. They keep you uneasy. 
you know, you can't settle in and say, well, I think we got it figured out how to handle them because just as soon as you think you got it figured out, they'll throw something different at you. And I think that that works having come up under Kiffin, I think really helps corral. I think a lot being coached mm -hmm. by him and, and by the same token, Malik Willis under freeze at Liberty. I, I think that, I think that helps you a lot, you know, in, in doing so. And I think that's one of the reasons you see Caleb Williams transferred and following Lincoln Raleigh, which I think mm -hmm. was a good move. Yeah. And following Lincoln. Uh, so if we can just real quick, if we talk about system and fit, out of Corral, Willis, and Pickett, who do you think fits maybe the Steelers' system or their future system the best? I would probably say Pickett mm. because I think he's more middle of the road. I would, I, and, and I think that's actually where the Steelers would probably wind up just in the style of offense they run is middle of the road. Whereas I think Corral is much more the wide open, I, I call it, uh, you know, new age guy. But yeah. I think Pickett is sort of right in the middle. And and then if I didn't go Pickett, I'd probably go Willis, you know. But I think Corral is purely that wide open guy. Willis is intriguing and his name is getting hotter by the day. And now all of a sudden there's articles out there about maybe the Lions taking him at two. Yeah. Um, if you can, just for the audience that might not know a lot about Malik Willis, can you just give a quick little minor scouting report on what you think his pros and his uh, his weaknesses are that he needs to work on when he gets into the NFL game? Well, you know, I, I, I think he'll have to work on his accuracy some, yeah. uh, without a doubt. Um, you know, and I think he'll probably have to work on reading defenses. You know, because those defensive coordinators and the pros are going to give you something to look at. And it's not going to be simple and straightforward. It's going to be complex. And every quarterback has to learn that. I think that's the reason the learning curve is so sharp or so long for quarterbacks is learning to read defense. You know, most every quarterback can hand off. Most every quarterback can throw a ball. But can they read defenses? And again, I would say that the best guy I've ever seen at reading defenses was Peyton Manning. I was going to say. You know, it's not even close. Who's You know, I think Brady's good. I think Rodgers is good. I think uh, probably even Dan Marino. But to me, they're in a different league than what Peyton was in. You know, Payne could walk up to the line and he'd be quack, 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 quack. And you wondering if the duck is quacking or something. you like, what in the crap is he saying? You know, and you see the defense shift and he walk up and you like, well, they didn't show what they were going to do when they first walked to the line. And then he says something, they shift again. And all of a sudden, they decide just say to blitz. And for some reason, Payton always dumps the ball right over the guy's head that's blitzing and right into the hole that he just blitzed from. And I'm sitting there like, I know the defense was running audibles just like he was. Yeah. But how did he know that 
And you know, and then it's not like he figured that out in five seconds of sitting there holding the ball. He's done that and processed that in like two seconds or three seconds. So again, if you were to hit him, the ball is already gone because he wasn't, in my opinion, Jack as an athlete. You know, Peyton was probably slow as molasses, but he could get rid of the ball so fast and he could read defenses so well that that took care of all of his athletic shortcomings. You know, it's because he was good at that. Now, I think uh, Marino was probably about as good at the quick release, but Marino didn't read defenses like Peyton. To me, that was just, it's just never been anybody could read defenses like Peyton. Yeah, I don't even, I mean, I'm sure other quarterbacks have, but it almost felt like Peyton would like set honey traps or something. You know, he would slide his protection over because he knew that this defense would automatically check and move over and he'd buy them in and he'd create leverage and then pre-snap motion. Next thing you know, what Anthony Gonzalez is all of a sudden now on the slot yeah. on the other side, snap the ball and he got him. He would create open space before the ball was even snapped. And it was, yeah, no, it was, it was a beautiful thing to watch. Like, I mean, truly he was playing checkers. I'm sorry. He was playing chess while other people were playing checkers. Yeah. You know, and to me, I, I, I always tell people that if you really watch sports and analyze it, it's like a, a harmony that's being, or a melody that's being played on the field. And the offense is, I guess you could say, trying to create an off note for the defense. Mm -hmm. And the defense is trying to create an off note for the offense, you know, to mess up the melody or to mess up the harmony. Because if we let harmony reign, when we look up, somebody's going across the goal line. So we have to create that off note and throw the harmony off. And to me, that's what they're working at doing. I love it. That's great. Uh, the final topic I wanted to get into you with was I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, let's start here. Um, in your opinion, how has the recent evolution of the transfer portal, do you believe that it has helped college athletes do you think it's helped out universities more and maybe is there something that you wish that they would continue to push on to maybe help you know because college athletes they are a bit at the mercy of the university a little bit of where they want to play and get playing time but now hopefully that transfer portal is giving hopefully them more opportunities to find the right home the right system a little bit of a theme we're well, talking I, about here i agree with you you know uh the transfer portal nil I think all of that has changed college football dramatically. And I think it's actually changed it for the better. I, I really think it's changed it for the better. Now there's an audience there, you know, in this country that can't stand it. You know, the transfer portal, they don't like NIL and, you know, they're hung in this, you get loyalty. Free, yeah. Free. <laughs> education and you know i tell people there's no such thing as something for free you know when you're getting me up at 5 30 in the morning telling me what my diet can be telling me uh what particular weight machine i got to work on what classes i can take what class i cannot take i cannot have a side job i can't that's really not anything free that 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 has the makings of a job to me Mm -hmm. And some of these college athletes will tell you that. Now, granted, I'm glad that 
there are kids who were it not for sports probably wouldn't have the opportunity to get a degree. I, I understand that. But I think to a certain extent, that is oversold. You know, uh, and, and that loyalty thing is oversold because the AD will leave if he gets a better opportunity. The coach will leave if he gets a better opportunity. But you're telling me the kid should be locked there. I don't necessarily agree with that. I, I, I don't feel that the kid should be locked and subject to all of these rules, so to speak. There are probably some head coaches at major colleges, they can't remember when they paid for a meal because every restaurant they showed up in, there was some big alumni there and he, oh, coach, that's on the house, don't worry about it. Yet the same kid that's running the sprints, that's taking those blows that may create health issues down the road. If you or I buy him a Happy Meal, he's in trouble with the NCAA. Mm -hmm. Yet this same athlete is the stir that stirs the whole drink. And we got conferences signing not hundreds of million dollar TV contract. They are now in the billions. If that athlete is generating that kind of revenue, he should have access to some revenue him or herself. It's no, you know, people say, well, no, they shouldn't get anything. I said, well, does that mean don't give them anything but raise the coach two million? You know, really what has happened is I think college sports is sort of major sports have, have, have painted themselves into a corner. We know that there should have been a minor league in football and basketball. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So that if a kid was not college material or if he was and didn't want to go to college and wanted to go straight on into the pros, he could. But for some reason, those leagues never survived. I'm just going to wink on that one because of, you know, NFL, major college football, th those leagues never survived. Yeah. So the NBA, NBA is trying. NBA is trying to sort of do something well, like you that know, now. I but think recent. the NBA was forced to do it because you had those kids that said, I'm not going to do that one and done. I'm not going to do that two and done. I'm going to go on over to Europe and I'm going to play ball uh -huh. and get paid, which was, I think the first major one to do it was Josh Childress. And yep. then you had Emmanuel Moutier and all of those guys, you know, and now it's pretty much a common thing until they got the G League going. And I think it should be similar in football and basketball as well, uh, that that should be there for them. Then I think you would have more leverage to say, we're not going to pay you in college because you had another avenue you could have used. But if you have taken away those avenues and have created by default a minor league under the name of NCAA football, then by right, they ought to be paid just like a minor league player would, you know? Yeah. So, and, and, and it is, it's, it's a sticky situation there, but I just feel that they should be compensated. It, it's, it's almost as if you or I would get out of school and maybe we didn't go to college. We get a job. We're going to get paid. 
or if we got a job and we went and worked every week and come home every Friday and, and your mom asked you, well, son, did you work this week? Yes, ma'am, I, I worked this week. Well, did they pay you? No, ma'am, they told me that uh, they were gonna, that, that if I just keep working, they were gonna give me a free education and they were gonna, you do that two or three weeks and you come home with no check. Your mom's gonna say, now, hey, you doing all this work, but they're not paying. Well, are they making any money? Oh, yes, ma'am. They signed a TV contract the other month for two billion. And you're not getting any? Yeah. And she's well, and there's, say, there's you kids change jobs. Kids wearing your jersey. Yeah. The CBS highlight is showing you score a touchdown and spike the ball in the end zone. Yeah. And I and I, I find what's interesting about this, and I think it's one of the greater hypocrisies that I wish sports fans understood is that when we're talking about loyalty, for a fan, loyalty is a lot more convenient, right? Where, let's be honest, when we're talking about transfer portal and stuff, if we have our quarterback on whatever XY football team, and for whatever reason someone else came in who was better, that loyalty kind of changes because you just want your team to win, whereas the athlete probably has to have loyalty out of necessity because they just want that particular situation to work until they realize that their playing time isn't feasible and then they have to try and and change that on the fly and in terms of compensation you know i i hear what you're saying i'm just kind of curious it's complicated right like it's it's nuanced i mean because i believe both men and women uh, college athletes should be paid and compensated i believe that in a lot of ways if you were to pay those those kids in college i think it might actually give them more of an incentive to stay in school um because then you you have money, you're saving money, you can help out your family and you can also graduate too as well. Am I wrong? I, you know, it's funny you said that because that is exactly where I stand on that. Um, that they should be compensated. Um, and I think a lot of them would stay in school longer. But I also think they wouldn't have that pressure on them of I gotta get out of here as quick as I can and get to pro to the pros where I can make some money, mm -hmm. because now if I have been compensated and maybe uh, my handlers have worked out enough NIL deals that I got a meal or two in the bank, it's not even imperative that I go to, to the pros. And if I can interject on top of that, if you're thinking about someone who wants to get to the pros as quick as we can, now look, I don't want to paint with a broad brush, but maybe someone would go to class less because they have to get to the NBA quicker. You know what I mean? Like I have right. to focus so hard on everything I can in this one opportunity in this one 12 month span that I can't go to my 9 a.m. class because I need to focus on this thing where if they did have that compensation package or the ability to continue to earn money through like you're talking about marketing and licensing revenue, right. then eventually maybe it's not like so, so taxing and so imperative on them to get it done right away. My only one for you is. Are you. Are, are you interested? Yeah, it sounds like you're more interested in terms of base compensation with the ability to earn revenue based off of like licensing and marketing rights. Are you the type of person that's like, I'm, I'm going to sign a 17 year old kid to a $1.2 million bonus thing because my only thing with that would be, let's just say you sign because there's a lot of guys that get scholarships, right? That don't right. even make it on the field. What do you do with that? You don't just like the NFL, you don't terminate a contract and take away a million dollars from a kid. Is there a way to continue to pay him and compensate him, even though he maybe didn't pan out as a player? 
well, like you say, it's complicated because you don't have a pure corporate entity running the show. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is these athletes play at state-owned institutions, which are, you know, uh, non-profits, mm -hmm. so to speak. If, if I'm a non-profit and I'm a state-owned institution, then after expenses, where does the extra go? Does it go back to the state taxpayers since I'm a state-owned institution? You know, if we want to look at it purely. Doubt it. And, yeah, I doubt it too. <laughs> doubt you know, it. As it is, would that be the case? You know, and some people say, well, I want to uh, put a base on it. And I said, well, we're a capitalistic country. The market drives the rate. And they said, well, but some kids are going to get X amount. And so I said, well, even in the pros, the stars get X amount and the other players get, you know, less. I'm not saying they get pennies, but they get less. But I think what would actually happen is the people in marketing and so forth will figure out in the years to come, not only how to market that stud athlete, but to market, I would say, the baseline athlete as well. And I think they'll yeah. figure that out. Yeah, because yeah. that's the that's the level playing field, right? Where if you right. look at an, an Alabama versus a Boise State, someone that's listening to this right now is like, well, Alabama could just give their entire, you know, their entire offense a million dollars each and then rock and roll and be able to go out and acquire and literally buy young collegiate athletes. But I think what you're saying is I think that there's ways where Boise State can play in that same field. Maybe they're not earning that money through the school, but they're creating moments through marketing and licensing, merchandising where these kids can make you know, a pretty good living, actually save some money, graduate from college at 22, and, and you know honestly give them kind of a leg up for all their hard work. They either have money saved and can try and do a professional career or this incentivizes them to get their degree with money saved, maybe pay off that student loan, or, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Maybe that student loan's already paid for, but also help out their families too as well. Because I think the other part that's really lost on this is a lot of these college athletes have parents, mothers and fathers, and and sisters and aunts and uncles that drive miles and miles and miles to take them to these games and these practices, and they're sacrificing a lot of their lives too as well. And I think families really invest in the player as much as the player invests in himself. And we miss that a lot. Yeah, I want to speak to that, too. I, I, I think so many people miss that. Uh, as if that athlete's career started when he signed with, you know, such and such you. Mm -hmm. That kid has probably been preparing for that moment since peewee football. So he has a lot invested. So why shouldn't he be uh, compensated or remunerated or whatever we want to call it? And we, we've set up this system where we make an athlete feel a college education is a prerequisite for playing football. I said, hey, a college education may be a prerequisite to be a chemical engineer or a doctor, 
But what does a college education have to do with catching a football, throwing a football? You and I know absolutely nothing, <laughs> nothing. Yeah. But we make it seems as if it has something to do with it. And the same kid that we are praising today, if he makes one mistake, the fans and everybody flip on him and say, kick him out of school, do this, do that. He should have made a better decision. Now, granted, as the coach, and I think all coaches do, you're teaching them to become better young men. You're teaching them to make better decisions. But they are still kids. You know, they're still 19-year-olds, and we've all been there. So the kid never said he was a rocket scientist. He said he was a job. So he's going to make job decisions. Now, sometimes you can get one in the same, but that's not every day. So if you expecting him as a job to make rocket scientist decisions, your student at the university who is a rocket scientist, do you require that he runs a four or five like this guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, do you do that? You don't. Yeah. You know, so... You know, it's it's amazing to me, or they will use this statement here, and it sort of, you know, pees me, and you probably heard Richard tell some of my stories of our conversation. It's amazing that they will say, well, give a 19-year-old kid that kind of money, he's going to blow the money. He doesn't know how to handle that kind of money. I said, well, number one, if he blows it, it is his money. It's a free country. He has a right to do that. We would hope that he wouldn't do that, but I know some fifty-year-olds that have blown some money. Well, yeah, you know, we know some. Um, uh, we know some. Uh, some banks and some law yeah, firms some that go bankrupt. Have blown so, money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And here's what I'm saying: when they say, "Well, he doesn't know how to handle that kind of money," my comeback is always this: Well, you are an educational institution. You have professional educators who write curricula every day. Can they not write one so that he learns how to handle money? They write all other type of curricula. Why you can't write a curricula for that? Mm -hmm. But it's almost like, to me, I can see any other institution basically throwing up their hands, but I cannot see an institution of higher learning throwing up their hands talking about a kid can't handle money. You know, and, and they, they got a parcel of teachers. Well, look, um, it's, it's for, it's for, part two series of our of our <laughs> podcast conversation with melvin when we'll get together and we will talk about how i grew up i am a part of a generation and and when probably one before me and, and behind me coming that was told you have to go to college or you will be nothing in this life right and now are just saddled with tens of thousands and some hundreds of thousands of student loan debt well, I'm gonna after say one being thing. after being forced into it yeah please what if elvis had been told he had to go to college before he could play rockabilly. <laughs> what if B.B. King had been told, or Michael Jackson had been told, you can, you got to go to college before you play the blues. Or if, before you don't go to, if you don't go to college, you'll never do music. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So what I'm saying, the athletics to some of these guys is a God-given talent, just like blues was to B.B. King. Or rockabilly was so they are just so. If Elvis and BB are being paid for their talent, why should he not be paid? He just had the different talent from the rocket scientists, but it's still a talent, mm -hmm. you know. And it and yeah. it still should be. He still should be compensated for it. 
Melvin Buchanan here on Bet on Chicago. Thank you so much for joining for this conversation. Um, I really enjoyed it. And in terms of the college sports, I hope there is a world or a place because I would love to see him as well. Where like maybe like me, you, and Mr. B, Mr. Berardi, we're having lunch somewhere like ten years from now, and we're like we're just laughing at how like remember how these college athletes weren't paid? <laughs> like, yeah. Remember how they did this for free, and now we'll, we'll hopefully we'll see you know the fruits of the fruits yeah, of that evolution. Yeah, a lot more I wanted to discuss about NIL and so forth. We could you know we probably do that in another conversation. You know what? If you're up for it, I would I would love to have you back. I really did enjoy this conversation, Melvin Buchanan here. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I usually at the end, I mean, do you do you have social media? Uh, do you have are you on social media bringing out sports takes? Or are these pretty much just resorted to the gym? It's pretty much just resorted to the gym. But I've had yeah. people for years to tell me, man, I don't know why you don't do a podcast. You don't do this, and you know. Guys will come to me at the first of the season and say, what's my team going to be? And I'll just, you know, just lay it out. And they'll come back at the end of the year and tell their buddies, it's like, you know, it happened just like Melvin said. And they were like, how do you do that? I'm, I don't work at it. It's just, you know, it's just who I am. <laughs> I don't really work it. But I, I've always been analytical like that. You know, if I can't find something to really analyze and people who know me, even people who have dated me, they know that if you give me a problem or an issue, I'm looking for a solution. And sometimes, you know, the ladies will tell me, Melvin, all I want you to do is just listen. Don't try to solve it. Don't try to <laughs> They know that's where I'm headed next, you know? Yeah. So uh, well, that, I really appreciate I'm so uh, I'm so happy and grateful that we got connected. Uh, I hope he's listening. Thanks, Mr. B, for hooking it up. Word. I'm going to throw that out to him right there. And uh, Melvin, man, yeah, please. Uh, we're going to stay connected, man. But please, if you'd like, I'd love to have you back on the pod uh, anytime soon. Yeah, I love getting your knowledge on it. Thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Today's episode of Bet on Chicago with Joey Christopoulos was presented by uh, BetOnline.ag. 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V. Make sure you get that in right now before you get yourself into that college tournament for this weekend and also Athletic Greens. Thank you so much for checking out this podcast. Be well, be safe. Please be good to each other. And remember, when in doubt, always Bet on Chicago. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.